Thank you, Lord. Mm. Lord, it's so good. It's so good to be in your presence, to be among your people, uh, to be together, to worship, uh, to give you the praise that you deserve. So, Lord, we offer our praise to you as an act of love toward you. We pray uh, that our worship is a blessing and a sweet fragrance to you. We love the way you love us. We love the way you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Before you sit down, we're going to pray our offertory prayer. Uh, I think today's prayer is from John Wesley, who seems like a youngster compared to some of the prayers that, that we've prayed recently. Pray with me. Lord, I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, John. All right. Wow. That's some good stuff right there. A couple of things going on uh, that we need to be aware of. One is we are uh, coming down the home stretch of the uh, Operation Christmas Child and being a drop-off location. There are boxes still out there, I believe, uh, that can be grabbed and, and taken home and filled. And, and uh, if you have questions about that, on your way out today, look for Brooke. She may be out there in that area, or Kelly. Uh, they both probably both will be out there, and they can answer your questions. And uh, hey, grab a box, and uh, let's get those things filled up. And then the other thing, um, we've been talking about the survey um, commitment forms that we sent out to everyone, and, and just encourage you to get those in. Um, we want to get all of those in uh, before Thanksgiving so we can start to make plans um, for next year. And, and here's, here's what I wanna, want you to understand about this. If you send in a form that marks things that you're interested in, ministries that you're interested in plugging into, you will get a phone call. So know this, you know, kind of, kind of, sort of, almost, maybe, maybe not interested, you're still going to get a phone call. And uh, we're going to give you a chance to, to jump into places that you want to jump into. And we won't ask you to plug into every place that you list, okay? Uh, but we'll give you an opportunity to pick the one that you're most interested in, okay? Or the one or two or six. All right. Good? Okay. Perfect. We're going to read today from Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. 
All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. That was a different water gate, by the way. (laughs) They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. So just think about that for a second. He, he reads, he basically preaches to them for about five hours. So just consider yourself blessed today. <laughs> From daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maseah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkiah, Hashum, Hashbadna, Zechariah, and Meshulam. You could clap. You really could clap right now. Ezra, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Yeshua, Bani, Jeremiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebetai, Hodiah, Mashiah, Kilatah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were introducing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, probably sweet tea, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Lord, I pray uh, that you would speak to us today. God, you gave a revelation to the people that day. You used the, the priests and the Levites, the teachers of the law. You used them to do it, to help the people to understand. Uh, even things that they thought they understood, you, you helped them to truly understand. And so we pray today that you would do the same thing. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that you would illumine our minds, that we would understand what it is that you're saying 
to your people, what your invitation to us is. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are actually the same book. And uh, they're bound together in one book, and they're called First and Second Ezra. And uh, many believe that Ezra wrote both of them. Uh, the pattern in both books is the same. If you, if you look at them, you look at an, at an outline of just in just about any commentary, you'll see that the pattern of the two books is the same. It's basically return from exile, rebuild the temple, return from exile, um, reform. So it's, it's rebuilding the city, rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the people. Uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, that was a great job. You got to drink a lot of wine. Uh, but the problem with it was that the reason you were getting to drink it is because it might be poisoned. And so every time you had a glass of wine, it might be your last. And uh, that was his job, though. He was supposed to drink. He's the cupbearer. He has to drink the wine before the king can drink it. Now, uh, king Artaxerxes was the stepson of Esther, and that's probably how Nehemiah got this great job. And uh, Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah permission to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I think a bunch, a bunch of our women have recently gone through a study of Nehemiah, so you, you've read all about that, that story. In chapters uh, 3 through 7 of Nehemiah, is all about the rebuilding uh, they're going back and they're re rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, uh, Ezra gathers the people and, and he reads, and he does. He explains the law. He, he doesn't just read it, but he, he reads it and gives explanation. So he reads it and he tells them what it means, gives them explanation of it. Uh, and it says that he does this from sunup until noon. And so, you know, we're talking four or five, maybe six hours of this. And this is done during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is uh, also the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Booths. And this typically, for the Jew Jewish people, is a celebration feast. It is a time of joy. It is a time of happiness. It is a time where they are to celebrate in, in joyful celebration. Uh, the people, as they listen uh, to the reading... They are so moved by what they hear that, that they begin to weep. Uh, and Ezra may have, many, many scholars believe that Ezra actually thought that they should be weeping, uh, but that Nehemiah uh, did not want them to weep. Uh, Nehemiah was focused on the rebuild. Nehemiah thought this was a time of celebration. He believed that this was a wonderful occasion and a time to celebrate and to live. And the truth is, there's a sense in which they're both right. They're both right. The people are wicked, and the reading of the law should sober or sadden them, in a sense, but only for a moment. Only for a moment. Because if they really understand the purpose of the law, then sadness will fade and joy will come if they understand the purpose of the law. The law always points to the promise. The law always points to the promise. In Romans, uh, Paul, especially in chapter 13, Paul explains that the purpose of the law 
is to point to our need for a Savior. And so God gives us a law, not as a burden, not as something heavy to carry, but God gives us a law and he gives us a promise that is always to be connected to the law. The reason for the law is to point to the promise. The law points to our need for the promise. And the promise is Jesus. Jesus is the promise. Now, in the middle of the garden, there were two trees. In the middle of the garden, there are two trees. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree. You can eat from any tree, but you, you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if you do, you will die. Now, the reading of the law or the reading of the gospel. Just think about this. The reading of the law or the reading of the gospel will have a very different effect upon you depending upon which tree you're eating from. Sadly, the vast majority of people sitting in churches today, are eating from the wrong tree. The vast majority of people sitting in churches today are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And unfortunately, uh, the reason that many of them are doing that is because that's the tree that they're being taught from. Uh, Jesus didn't call us to live for him, he called us to allow us to, to allow him to live in us, to live in us. And that is the only arrangement that will work. It's the only one that'll work. It's the only arrangement that produces life. Every other arrangement leads to frustration and defeat and death. And so if right now, in your Christian walk, right now, if you feel more shame and more guilt and more frustration and more defeat and more bondage, if you feel all of those things more than you feel the joy of the Lord, you're probably eating out of the wrong tree. If you are racked with fear and anxiety, it could be because you're drinking, you're eating out of the wrong tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil says, read, study, learn, try harder. And over time, you'll learn to be more like Jesus. Just try to be good. Just try to be good. You know what C.S. Lewis said about trying to be good? C.S. Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Jesus said, get this, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. Jesus, perfect, God incarnate, sinless, 
And he says in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing of myself. Jesus actually said that he couldn't live the life that he calls you and me to apart from the Father. That's big. John 14, 10 says Jesus lived and did everything he did through the power of his Father in him. You see, the problem with try harder, read the Bible more, witness more, give more, pray more, go to church more, and eventually you'll be more like Jesus. You know what the problem with that is? It's not the gospel. That's not what the gospel teaches. Now, those are all wonderful things. They are. They're wonderful things. I, 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 I do. I, I want to read the Bible more. I want to witness more. I want to give more. I want to pray more. I want to go to church more. They're wonderful things if they're done from the right tree. If they're done from the right tree. If those things are done from the tree of life, they produce life. But if they're done from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which is an effort to earn, to accomplish, to try harder, to be better, to get there. They just produce frustration and failure. Paul says that the hope of the gospel is having a quiet time every day. No. Paul says that the hope of the gospel is having so many perfect attendance pins on your shirt that you kind of lean one. No. Did anybody here remember those? You're so young. Y'all are so young, just my wife and I and Margaret. We remember when they used to give you an award for perfect attendance at church. You know why they quit doing that, right? We won't even talk about why they quit doing that. <laughs> Paul says the hope of the gospel is not trying harder. The hope of the gospel is not trying harder. The hope of the gospel is Christ in you. It's Christ in you. Not just Christ for you, not just Christ with you, Christ in you, in you. John 20, Jesus is about to leave the disciples been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's meeting with his disciples, and he's about to leave. He's going back to, to the Father, going back to be with the Father. And before he ascends, you know what he does? He calls the disciples to himself, and he does not give them a to-do list. He doesn't give them a through-the-Bible-in-one-year plan, mainly because it hadn't been written yet. He, he doesn't give them a list of things to do. You know what he does? He breathes on them. He breathes on them. Jesus breathes his breath on them, and, and guess what happens? They start living like he lived. You know why they started living like he lived? Because his life was in them. 
Not because they had memorized what it looked like. Not because they had memorized you know, and, and had bought bracelets that said, what would Jesus do, just to remind them. It wasn't that. They weren't remembering what he had done and trying to copy it. They began to live like Jesus because Jesus got inside of them. He breathed on them. And they began to live their lives the way he had lived his, by the same power that he had. By the same power that he had lived his life, they began to live their life, the indwelling power of God. What the Father was to him, he now was to them. And that is kind of what he prayed in John 17, right? Not a distant, faraway rule maker. An indwelling Lord. If you eat from the tree of knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are in charge of your life. You get to be king, you get to be God of your own life. You you get to make your own choices, you get to choose. And the problem is you're not God and your choices will only produce death and frustration. But the tree of life, if if you eat from the tree of life, it will release the life of Jesus in you. The tree of knowledge is all about trying to be good, trying not to be bad. Without Jesus, I'm not very good at either one of those. Paul without Jesus, wasn't very good at either one of those. Paul says in Romans uh, 7, the good things I don't want to do, I do, and the bad things, or the good things that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things that I don't want to do, I do. And he says, what hope is there for me? And he answers his own question. That his hope is Christ in him. Because the tree of life releases the life of Jesus in you. When the law or the gospel is read, it will make you sad if you are living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because it will only represent things that you can't do. When you hear the law or the gospel and you're not living from the tree of life, it will only make you sad because it will be a representation of all of your frustrations and your failures. But when you understand the purpose of the law, it becomes good news. You can read the law. If you understand the law's purpose, you can read the law, and rather than going, wow, what a yoke, that feels so heavy. Instead, you see, the purpose of the law is what? To point to the promise. What's the promise? The promise is Jesus. Oh, boy. That's good news. The purpose of the law is to point to the promise, and the promise is the Savior. The Savior is Jesus. When you understand that life is to be lived from the tree of life and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, guess what following Jesus becomes? Joy. Fun, adventure, rather than an impossible 
burden or a desired frustration. The tree of life says, enjoy him more. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, try harder. Which one do you want? In their book, Jesus Manifesto, Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola give this quote. The Bible teaches the highest possible moral values, but the Bible is fundamentally not about morality. Following the Lord Jesus Christ involves living out the highest moral values, but following Jesus is fundamentally not about morality. Conversion to Christ involves a moral transformation of life, but conversion is not fundamentally about morality either. The most moral, unsaved person on the planet needs Christ just as much as the most immoral one. It is Christ, not religion, that saves us. The truth. It's the truth. And so Christianity is not about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because we cannot save ourselves by trying harder or being better. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can save. And he, he doesn't save because you did better. He doesn't save because you earned it. He doesn't save because you tried so hard. He saves. Hear me. He saves because you can't. He saves because you can't. Now, we understand the incarnation, right? We understand the incarnation. The way we understand the incarnation is God came down. Okay, God came down. God became a man and he lived among us. I would suggest that that's only part of the incarnation. It's true. That part is true. God came down. God became a man. But guess what else he did? Not only did God come down, he pulled us up. God came down, and he pulled us up. In Christ... We become something more than we were. In Christ, we become something more than we were because he is in us. Not because of us, not because of human effort, but because of the gift of God, the breath of Jesus, the same breath that he breathed on the disciples, he breathes on us. Abraham and Isaac, they're going up the mountain, and God has told Abraham he has to sacrifice Isaac, right? And so they're going up the mountain, and Isaac asks the question, Father, where's the lamb? See the knife, see the fire, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide a lamb. 
God will provide the lamb. The law's purpose was to point to the promise. The promise is the lamb. When John is baptizing people in the Jordan and he sees Jesus coming, he points at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the promise. That is the promise. The Lamb of God. God will provide. God will provide. Now, let's be honest. What do you think about when you hear the words, God will provide? (laughs) Too often, when we hear the words, God will provide, our minds go to, well, shoot, that means I'm going to be healthy and rich. Right? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. God will provide. But it's better than that. It's better than that. Because God provides the lamb, you get to be his house. You get to be God's house. Not this, you. You get to be God's house. He wants to live in you. That's the key to life. It's the key to joy. It's the reason that Nehemiah and Ezra said to the people, this is a day of joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. We read that verse and we say, okay, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm supposed to be joyful. Let me figure out how to be joyful. Mm -mm. Nope. It's not your joy. That's your strength. It's his joy. And the only way you can have his joy is for him to live in you. Not a faraway God with a list of rules to follow. He wants you to be his house, people. He wants to come and live in you so that he can live his life through you. If you're eating out of the wrong tree, if you're eating out of the wrong tree, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a miserable person. <laughs> Frustrated person. God wants you to eat out of the tree of life. He wants to live in you. Now let's pray. Jesus, What a deal. We can run on the treadmill, the endless treadmill of trying to be good and trying to live for you, or we can stop running and invite you to live in us. And from that point on, let you do all the heavy lifting. Wow. That's a hard decision. <laughs> I say yes. I say yes. I want to be your house. In Jesus' name. Amen.